Good evening and welcome to Geeking with Destination Venus. Reggie here with an hour of geeky news, views and general nonsense. It is another solo job this evening. We do have an interview lined up and a familiar voice will hopefully be with us next week. But for this week, you're still stuck with me. But don't worry, because there is a lot going on. And we're going to start with... Yep, we are starting with science, except we're not really. I'm putting this in the science slot for two reasons. First of all, I really like the jingle. And second of all, it is to do with space, but it's not really science. And that's why I'm bringing it up, because it's being treated in the press like it is. And it's not science. It's something else. It's entitled and spoiled rich guys getting to play with really nice toys that, full disclosure, I'm kind of jealous of. I am, of course, talking about everybody's favourite Bond villains. The almost charismatic but actually kind of creepy Elon Musk and the let's not be about the bush Completely creepy Jeff Iron Amazon Bezos. Because they're both in the news over the last couple of weeks for space related stuff um, and actually slightly interconnected space related stuff. It probably hasn't escaped your notice if you are into all this geeky stuff that Bezos and his brother are about to go into space on Jeff Bezos's own spaceship. If you haven't been following this, no, you didn't mishear me, and I'm not making this up. Jeff Bezos and his brother are going to go into space on Jeff Bezos's personal spaceship. Now, that is mind-blowing it's not quite as mind-blowing as i've just made it seem what they're going to do in the company of a and as yet as i record this unnamed person they're going to take the blue origin spaceship new shepherd up into space and come back down it's what we call in the in the biz a sub orbital hop and honestly these things have not really been regarded as particularly impressive since the 1960s. It's what you do if you can't put your spaceship into orbit. The only person who has ever really been given a massive amount of plaudits for doing a suborbital hop is the great NASA astronaut John Glenn, who was the first American in space. And the reason he did a suborbital hop is because Yuri Gagarin had gone into space on Vostok 1 and orbited the Earth and come back down again. Um, there was a little bit of cheating there because he didn't actually land in his spaceship. Uh, but, you know, he did go into space. He did orbit the Earth. And America needed an answer. And they didn't at the time have a rocket powerful enough to launch 
a crewed Mercury space capsule, which is what they were flying back then, into orbit. They only had the Redstone rocket, which is based on uh, Werner von Braun's uh, World War II V2 missile. And it simply didn't have the thrust to put a person into orbit. It could get somebody into a above the line where it's kind of agreed that space starts 100 kilometers above the ground, basically. Um, and then they could come back down again, but it couldn't put a guy into orbit. They needed the Atlas for that. And that didn't happen until John Glenn flew. Um, quick sidebar. I finally managed to watch the movie Hidden Figures last week, um, which deals as a subplot, really, to the main action of the film with John Glenn's first orbital flight and the mathematicians who did the calculations to make that flight possible. Worth watching, if you haven't seen it, is what I'm saying. Um, but basically, what's going to happen? is Jeff Bezos and his brother Mark uh, on July the 20th will climb aboard the New Shepard along with somebody who's paid $28 million. I'll say that again. $28 million. And they're going to get blasted up yeah, a hundred or so kilometers into the into the sky, and they're going to come straight back down again. The whole flight will probably last about eleven minutes. It is the first crewed flight of the New Shepard spacecraft. I suppose it's useful research for the development of that craft, but it's not advancing anything. It's not teaching us anything. And fundamentally, therefore, it is not science. Engineering, yes. Science, no. And that's how it's being spun. Um, and I, I don't like it. I really don't like it. Um, and I'll come back to why I have problems with this, uh, with Blue Origin and with Elon Musk's SpaceX in a little bit um, because I actually want to circle back now to the equally creepy but slightly more charismatic Elon Musk uh, and his SpaceX stuff because SpaceX actually are doing some useful work in this field. Um, you may have seen, and if you didn't, search for it on YouTube. In fact, there'll be some links in the show notes. You may have seen the... Uh, Crew Dragon spacecraft take uh, first SpaceX and then NASA astronauts to the International Space Station. Crew Dragon is uh, a development of the Dragon cargo vehicle um, designed by engineers at SpaceX, uh, uh, which has been taking supplies to the International Space Station for quite a long time, uh, since I think before the retirement of the Space Shuttle. Uh, and it has been pretty much the only way that NASA can take stuff up to the ISS without asking the Russians for a lift. Um, now they've got the crew rated version of the drone. They can actually send people to the ISS from American soil 
for the first time since 2011. That is not just cool, but in fact, quite important. Um, there are reasons why we do not want the Russians to be the only game in town. Um, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but if, you, if you've been following the news, you can probably figure it out. Um, the Russian Navy fired actual shots at a Royal Navy vessel in the Black Sea this week. So, you know, we don't want Russia to be the only game in town here. And you can't talk about space without talking about politics. It just it's too expensive to be apolitical. Anyway, um, so they've got that going on. And you may have seen videos on the news of the unbelievably cool Falcon 9 rockets and the way they land like Thunderbird 3. Now, I've spoken before on the show about what a stupid way of landing rockets on Earth that is. Okay, if you're going to use retro rockets, which is the way the Falcon 9 does it to land your rocket, that means you need to take more fuel on your rocket than you need to get into space. That's not just a waste of energy because you the more fuel you put on a rocket, the more fuel you need to lift it up. At some point, it becomes impossible. You've got too much fuel on board to be able to lift all the fuel on board. And at that point, you're not even a toy. Um, so there's that. The more fuel you need to carry, the less payload you can carry. Payload is expensive and it's what pays the bills. So you don't really want to do that. Also, fuel is really explosive. Rocket fuel has one job, and that is to explode. What you want your rocket fuel to do in an ideal world is explode in a controlled way that propels you upwards. What you don't want to happen is for your fuel to explode in an uncontrolled way that propels your spacecraft outwards in a great many pieces. Now, rockets explode a lot. Okay, um, One of my very favourite YouTube rabbit holes to go down is to look at videos of rockets exploding. They do it all the time. Once carrying people do it very rarely because when we're putting people on stuff, we tend to take care. But, you know, it is a risk. And the way Musk and SpaceX do it, they're making the risk greater and greater than they need to. Because if you're landing a spacecraft back on Earth, we have a reasonably thick atmosphere, which means you can return your craft to the Earth using wings or a parachute. You don't need to use retro rockets. However, if you want to go to the moon, the only way you're landing that doesn't involve a fiery death for everyone on board is with retro rockets. If you want to go to Mars, probably the same. Mars does have an atmosphere, but it's ridiculously thin. Um, you can just about fly a tiny, 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 teeny, tiny helicopter. Not a helicopter, actually, it's a quadcopter, but that's irrelevant. Um, you can fly a tiny little rotorcraft in the atmosphere of Mars, but anything big enough to carry people, the only way you're decelerating that enough to have a safe landing is retro rockets. So having the experience in landing spacecraft using retro rockets on Earth sets SpaceX up for landing stuff on the moon 
and landing stuff on Mars, which is what NASA is interested in doing. So, the bit of news relevant to SpaceX over the last couple of weeks is that NASA have awarded the contract to develop the next lunar lander exclusively to SpaceX. Now, from NASA's point of view, the logic here is straightforward, really. NASA has a finite budget. It spends American taxpayers' money. And one of the things that is very difficult to sell to people in America is tax. So NASA needs to be able to show that it's using the money that it's given by the American taxpayer effectively getting the biggest bang for its book that it can. And while I'm not the biggest fan of SpaceX uh, as a company, I, I do love their engineering. Their engineering is top notch, but I'm not a big fan of them as a company. I'm certainly not a fan of Elon Musk on any level at all. But what they've got is a thing that works. Okay, again, links in the show notes to video of their Starship spacecraft, which they finally managed to launch without blowing it up. And you know, this thing can take people to the moon and land them on it. It just can. It already exists. The R&D has already been done. The money to develop this spacecraft has already been spent. So any kind of adjustments and tweaks and redesigns that they might need to do are going to be so much cheaper than anything anybody else brings to the table because they are going to have to start from scratch. And there were other people at the table. Um, there's a company called uh, Dynetics, uh, which is a, a defense contractor from Alabama. Uh, and Jeff Bezos, Blue Origin, who in partnership with other areas, space, with other aerospace companies like Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman, uh, was also bidding for this work. Bear in mind, SpaceX can already put astronauts into orbit and take them to the International Space Station and already has in existence a working rocket powerful enough to take people to the moon. Bezos is playing about with suborbital hops, which weren't even cutting edge in 1961. If I'm NASA, I know where I'm spending my dollars. However, because these things are political, and because billionaires don't like to be told no, Bezos has complained. And Congress is now looking at forcing NASA to have another company also develop a lander. Just in case, I guess. And there's a bit of me that says, yeah, OK, that's sensible. SpaceX have this thing that already exists, but yeah, maybe it goes wrong. Maybe SpaceX are on the wrong lines here. In a perfect world, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. I understand this. 
But we do not live in a perfect world. NASA have actually got a bit of a bargain with SpaceX. Okay, they have awarded SpaceX a contract worth $2.9 billion to take astronauts from lunar orbit to the surface of the moon. Okay, the plan is that there will be an orbital station around the moon that people will go to and stay on and they can go from there down to the surface. Okay, so $2.9 billion for a SpaceX vehicle that will take people from the Lunar Gateway Station down to the surface. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking $2.9 billion is a lot of money, and it is. You can do a lot with $2.9 billion. I'm just going to point out that the best numbers that I've been able to find on the Blue Origin and Northrop Grumman and, and Partners bid is that they thought they could do it for just over $5 billion. So NASA is saving over $2 billion by just going with SpaceX. That is $2 billion they can spend on other stuff. They can spend on other science missions. They can spend on um, space probes, robotic probes. They can spend on astronomy. They can spend it on searching for near-Earth asteroids because you really need to do that. So much stuff they can do with the $2 billion they're saving. What it looks like Blue Origin's complaint might do is get Congress to force NASA to give a contract to Blue Origin and partners as well, but which will not give NASA any extra money, which means they're going to need to find $5 billion out of their existing budget to fund a thing they don't think they need and which currently doesn't exist when they have a thing that is already pretty much there. That $5 billion is going to take away from other stuff that NASA would be much better doing. I hate the idea that a billionaire can have that kind of influence on what a publicly funded, and okay, it's not my tax money that's being spent on NASA, I'm not American, but I hate the idea that a publicly funded organisation can be forced to spend money it really doesn't need to, to fund a vanity project by a billionaire. It doesn't sit right with me. now. And yes, there will perhaps be some people who are saying, like, first of all, the boring preachy part this week is getting a little bit left wing and a bit anti-billionaire. And I'm going to say, yeah, you know what? I don't like billionaires. I particularly don't like Bezos because he runs Amazon and I'm a bookseller. Uh, so, yeah, full disclosure, I've got some personal beef with Bezos. But actually, this is a much wider point. Okay. 
I'm not taking this anti-Blue Origin, anti-Bezos view because I'm a massive stand for Elon Musk and SpaceX, because I'm not. I don't like Musk either. I do think the engineering at SpaceX is extremely interesting. And Musk has hired some really good people. Because there is there is this idea, and it's spun very much in this way by Musk's people, that Elon Musk is like the creative engineering genius behind all of this. He isn't. He's got a great engineering team working at SpaceX, and I applaud those people's work. And you know what? Rocket engineers have worked for worse people. Just look up Werner von Braun and figure out who his original bosses were, and you'll see what I mean. Uh, Musk, at least, is not as bad as von Braun's first boss. Um, Links in the show notes. Um, But I think there is a problem here. I like the idea that commercial companies are starting to open up space. If all airlines could only buy airplanes from government-funded organisations, that would be ridiculous. And really, that's what spaceflight has been up until SpaceX started taking people into space. It would be nonsense if British Aerospace could only buy planes that were built by government-funded projects. But at the same time, we really do need to be honest with ourselves about how billionaires like Bezos and Musk are funding these projects. And for both Bezos and Musk, these are kind of vanity projects. Musk ultimately is running SpaceX because he wants to go to Mars. Bezos wants to go to space. He's always wanted to, and he's a very rich man. He's making it happen. But it's not their own money they're spending. They're billionaires, yes, but one little project for a a ship to take people from lunar orbit to the lunar service is going to cost... 2.9 2.9 billion. Okay, now both of them have got 2.9 billion of their own, but not that much more. And you know, if you want to do the whole project, you need hundreds, thousands of billions. You might need trillions to go to Mars. So, of course, these people aren't paying out of their own pockets. SpaceX takes a great deal of money from the American government. So does Blue Origin. Taxpayers are still funding this stuff. But now people who work for taxpayers are a little bit less in control. So while the commercialization of space is exciting to space geeks like me, it's something that we want to be wary of because it could end up costing us a great deal of money. And as Britain starts to get into the space business 
and the space launch business. They're talking about building a spaceport in Cornwall, guys. Um, which is absurd. It should be in Doncaster, but that's a, pro a that's for another article. We need to be watching that because I am very happy for private companies to go into space and make money in space. And I'm very happy for the British government to fund space science. Happy for both of those things to happen. What I want to be sure doesn't happen is what I think is starting to happen in the States in a quite a big way. I don't want to see government money being used to pay for private space companies to make to be their profits. If they can make profits some other way, brilliant. But if the way the companies are making profit is to take money off the taxpayer, well, then let's keep that in-house. If we're paying for it anyway, that might as well be in-house. And then we can have control over it. We're going to come back to this as the story develops because it is a lot going on. It is an incredibly exciting time in human spaceflight. We are finally actually planning to leave low Earth orbit for the first time since 1972. This is huge. But just because it's cool doesn't mean it's being done in the right way. Um, anyway, I started this little rant by having a go at Jeff Bezos and his piddly little 11 minute suborbital hop, which somebody, again, we don't know who, has paid $23 million to go on. I hear a rumour. It's only that. I have nothing to substantiate this. But I, as a result of past jobs, I do have some contacts in the field. It is rumoured, and again, that's all it is, that somebody might beat Bezos to it. Bezos and his brother and our anonymous space flighty person are planning to fly in the Space Shepherd, sorry, the New Shepherd um, spacecraft on the 20th of July. It has been suggested to me that our very own Richard Branson might just beat Bezos to it. Because of course Richard Branson has a space company. Of course he does. Flying out of the Mojave space, uh, Spaceport in America, you should never forget Virgin Galactic. Okay. Spaceship Two is a suborbital space plane, which has made uncrewed suborbital flights already successfully. It's based on the technology developed by Bert Rutan for Spaceship One, which was the spaceship which won the X Prize, which was a competition, if you like, um, to put a privately funded independently of government's designed 
spacecraft into space and bring it safely home. That flew in the early 2000s. And ever since, Branson's Virgin Galactic Company has been telling us that we are just a couple of years away from taking tourists into space where they could experience weightlessness and, you know, become astronauts. It's never happened yet. Uh, and there was a couple of years ago a, a very tragic accident with a, with a spaceship to craft, uh, which craft, crashed, killing its pilot. And obviously, obviously, a fatality in the development of a craft like that slows things down. But Branson is the kind of showman who might just say, do you know what? We've flown this thing on a few uncrewed flights. It can clearly do it. It's been up and come back down perfectly safely a couple of times with nobody on it. Let's go for a ride and steal Jeff Bezos's thunder. Branson's the kind of guy who might actually do that. Uh, the rumour is he might do this on July the 4th. Um, which it, that would play beautifully in America. It would be a brilliant story. Um, I have no skin in this game. Uh, I don't like any of the people involved. Not a big fan of Richard Branson. Not a big fan of Elon Musk, and absolutely not a fan of Jeff Bezos. So I'm just going to be watching with interest and hoping that in the end. Science and engineering will be the winners. Gosh, Reg, you managed to make the boring preachy part half an hour long this week. But do you know what? I stand by, I stand by all of it. I am a massive, massive, massive fan of the spacecraft involved. Well, actually, go and have a look at the show notes in a bit and have a look at what Bezos' spaceship looks like. and. Then just have a think about what it reminds you of and then have a giggle. Uh, but certainly I'm a very big fan of the engineering happening at SpaceX and I wish the engineers all the best. Moving on swiftly to other geeky stuff. And if you are a regular listener to the show, you'll recognise that that's the sound that introduces our Comics of the Week section. Now, I'm actually going to talk a bit of length this evening about a comic that isn't new. In fact, I think I may have mentioned it on the show before. It is The Many Deaths of Layla Starr. If you are unfamiliar with the comic, the premise is actually quite simple. Humanity is on the brink of discovering immortality. As a result, death has been made redundant. Because why would the cosmic powers need a death if nobody was going to die? So, death is banished to Earth, made mortal, and put into the body of Mumbai socialite Layla Starr. She almost immediately manages to get herself killed. But, and... This is a massive spoiler, so if you might, if if you're completely averse to spoilers, 
you might want to fast forward about 20 seconds, although the clue to this spoiler is in the title, The Many Deaths of Layla Star. So it's not a big spoiler, is what I'm saying. Layla Star doesn't stay dead. I'm not going to tell you how she keeps coming back from the dead, because that would be a spoiler too far, I think. But there is somebody in the cosmic pantheon that thinks death should be kept around. And so that person, that person, that entity keeps bringing her back. But when she dies, she doesn't come back, come back immediately. There is a, a, a period of time in between resurrections. And she keeps coming into contact with the person who will develop immortality for humanity. First coming across him when she first becomes mortal as a baby, then in the second issue as a child, and in the third issue as a young man. We're only on issue three right now. And so we see his life develop at various points, and at various points in his life, he interacts with Layla Starr. Sooner or later, he's going to start recognising her and wondering why he's older and she ain't. But that's a plot point, I suspect, for a future issue. That's not why I want to talk about the many deaths of Layla Starr. I want to talk about the many deaths of Layla Starr because it might be one of the most astonishingly innovative comics in terms of storytelling that I've read for a long time. And I read a lot of comics. It's basically my job. So what makes Layla Starr so interesting to me? Well, funny you should ask. First of all, it's beautifully written. Uh, the, the writer, uh, a guy called Ram V, is quite prolific at the moment. He is writing this, which is a creator-owned thing. Uh, he's doing Swamp Thing for DC Comics. He's got other comics out there as well. I'm not going to run through his comicography. But you know, he's, he's doing quite a lot. All of it's good. I have yet to read a bad book by Ram V. He's done one of my favourite vampire stories. He's done some stellar, stellar, stellar stuff. It's illustrated by a guy called uh, Felipe Andrade or Andrade or something like that. I've never heard the name said out loud. I've only seen it written down. Uh, I, I suspect it's not the name of a person from an English-speaking country, which means there's all kinds of linguistic things that are probably getting wrong, so forgive me. But it's a very distinctive style. It's not cartoony. It's equally not realistic. Um, it's quite strong in terms of line, and the colour palette is exceptional. It just looks... Awesome. Love the way this book looks. But in the end, for me, it always comes down to story. And the story is so beautifully told. It's almost painful to read. It's so gorgeous. Um, I just want to read you a bit of the narration from issue three. 
Okay, I'm not going to tell you who says this before I read it to you, but this is the first thing that one of the characters in this story says. I was brought into the world with a kiss and a phosphorus flame, a moment in which I imagine we were both truly alive. That's pretty much the first thing that one of the central characters in The Many Deaths of Veil of Star Issue 3 says. Such a poetic line. I was born with a kiss and a burst of phosphorus flame. Poetry, man. It's absolutely poetry. I was an English teacher. I know these things. But what kind of character could be saying such a line? Well, this issue is narrated by a cigarette. An actual cigarette. Which at the start of the issue, Layla Starr puts between her lips and lights. And so the character is born with a kiss and a burst of phosphorus flame from the match. Come on! What kind of imagery is that? That is gorgeous writing. Public service announcement. I really hate smoking, but a beautiful image is a beautiful image. And seriously, if you can get me impressed by a talking cigarette, then you are doing something right. Ah, oh, it's a gorgeous book. It's so beautifully written. Poetry drips from every panel. And like all good stories, it's not really about the incarnation of death being annoyed at being made redundant. It's about people and relationships and trust and love and family and what that actually is anyway and loyalty, and all of that good stuff. It will change the way you look at things. It's that good. So, yeah, if you have not started on the Many of this of Layla Star, I do have some bad news for you in that I am completely sold out of issue one. And I think I'm completely sold out of issue two as well. Um, if you want to read about the talking cigarette, and I recommend you do, I do have some copies of three left. And honestly, all of these issues do kind of stand alone. There is clearly an overarching narrative going on. But because each F issue is our life of Layla Star, and will end, well, so far they all have in the death of Layla Star, or another death of Layla Star, um, they do kind of sit on their own as little little stories uh, with a through line going through them. So you could just do that. But in fact, the collected edition will be out in a couple of months. And I seriously recommend you try and pick one up from a local independent bookshop or comic store. Uh, you don't need to go to a comic store to get the trade paperback collections of things. Any bookstore can get them in. I'd rather you got them from me. Destination Venus. 
uh, info at destinationvenus.co.uk or go to the website www.destinationvenus.co.uk. But you don't have to. Okay, you can get this stuff in any bookshop, but please don't buy them from Amazon because, well, I've already been on a rant about Jeff Bezos today. Uh, there's a reason he can afford a space project, okay? Bitter? Me? Nah. Nah. Not nah. Well, a bit. Actually, quite a lot. Anyway, comics. Okay, so that was Layla Star. We do have one other comic to recommend this week, and that is Compass. It's from Image, which is probably the biggest of the independent, but well, probably. It is the biggest of the independent publishers right now. Uh, written by Robert McKenzie and David Walker, with art by Justin Greenwood and uh, Daniela Miwa. And letters by Simon Boland, who I think I know. I really must get in touch with Simon Boland. I think in the early 2000s, I think I knew him. And um, I should exploit that, probably. Um, or at least, you know, just say hi. And how do, I, how do I elevate a pitch compass? Okay. Imagine that Indiana Jones was around in the 13th century. Now imagine that Indiana Jones around in the 13th century was a woman uh, from Baghdad. And you pretty much nailed Compass, really. This is a swashbuckling two-fisted action story our hero isn't a hero our hero is in fact a heroine a muslim woman you can probably i'm flicking through the comic as i'm talking which is why you can hear the riffling of paper um a muslim woman from the house of wisdom in baghdad uh which was Kind of a, it was. It's a real thing. It was founded by uh, Caliph Harun al Rashid as a library. Um, it's where scholars, cartographers, translators, astronomers, chemists, doctors, philosophers of the time. I mean, you know, those words didn't exist then. Certainly not in English, um, because English wasn't a language then, amongst other things. And she is in pursuit of. The secret of... Actually, no, I'm not going to tell you what she's in pursuit of because it doesn't really matter. Uh, she's in pursuit of something. And that pursuit has taken her to Wales. And other people also want the thing she's in pursuit of. And they're not good. And confrontation and shenanigans ensue. And honestly, this is just brilliant. It's got beautifully scratchy sort of art, but hugely expressive. So that you really do see what the characters are thinking. It is definitely a book where you need to read the pictures every bit as hard as you read the words, which is what I look for in a comic. Uh, the same could be said of Layla Starr, incidentally. If you can 
get all the meaning you can and all the meaning you need from a comic out of just what's in the speech bubbles, that's not a good comic. Comics are about telling a story with pictures too. And Compass does that beautifully. It's it's not as innovative as Layla Star. It isn't trying to be, to be honest. Um, it has that wonderful RKO Republic 1930s, 1940s cinema serial adventure feel to it. It's a real pulpy adventure. And it builds the world so finely that you completely understand who these characters are and what they're doing. The characterization is great. I don't know if such women would have come out of the 13th century House of Wisdom in Baghdad. And I don't care. Honestly, there were no archaeologists working for American universities in the 1930s who also went out into the field with a bullwhip. But Indiana Jones is still cool. And Compass is also really cool. I don't care whether it's historically accurate or not. I suspect it's probably at least as historically accurate as Indiana Jones ever was. And I commend it to you utterly. Drop in and see us and I'll let you have a look at it. Anyway, that concludes this segment. So stand by for the jingle and then something related to this. So, yeah, uh, I mentioned Indiana Jones there in uh, my little recommendation of Compass. And breaking news as I record this. Uh, I'm, I'm recording this at 20 to 1 in the morning on Thursday, the 24th of June. And this has just popped up in my, my news feed. Harrison Ford has suffered an injury on the set of Indiana Jones 5. Now, this is not all that shocking. Uh, he broke his ankle on the set of The Force Awakens. And that was a few years ago. He's now 78. 78 year old men maybe should think twice about doing the kind of thing that Indian that Indiana Jones that that Harrison Ford is doing right now. Um, but the report that I have in front of me says that he was rehearsing for a fight scene, and as a result of that. He took an injury involving his shoulder. Which one? I'm not sure. Uh, production is continuing and they're looking at his shoulder to see what needs to be done. And they're going to. Well, I can't believe they felt the need to put this in a press release. Of course, they are going to reschedule and fit the production around the needs of Harrison Ford because. It's an Indiana Jones movie, and without Harrison Ford, they kind of don't got nothing. It's... <sighs> when you're 78, you maybe should think twice about appearing in action movies. I say that against my better judgment, because I actually don't care how old Harrison Ford is. I want more Indiana Jones 
I particularly want more Indiana Jones that isn't Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, which is a movie I reluctantly acknowledge exists, but only reluctantly. And yes, mostly I pretend that there are in fact only three Indiana Jones movies currently existing. There are so many things wrong, so many things wrong with The Crystal Skull. I, I really hope that five is better, and I'm still going to call it four. Obviously, all of us here at Geeking and all of us at Destination Venus wish Harrison Ford and his wonky old face all the best for a speedy and full recovery. Because, dude, we want that movie. But also, you're Harrison Ford, and we like the world better with you in it. So, take care of yourself, old man. Seriously. Come on. So, that's that. Anyway, onwards, onwards. What else is happening in the world of geek? Well, it's not just comic shops that are back. Cinemas are back too. And as a result of that, at long, long, long last, we finally have a release date for Black Widow. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been waiting for this movie for a very long time. Admittedly, it was only scheduled for release last year and it's been pushed back because of the pandemic. But it's a movie that is way, way overdue. I genuinely struggle to understand why we didn't have this film five years ago. Because it's a no-brainer. Natasha Romanov is a hugely popular character. She has been since she made her first appearance in Iron Man 2. Uh, well, first cinematic appearance. Obviously, her first comic appearance was a long time before that. And I would have thought just on the the strength of the popularity of the character and of Scarlett Johansson, Marvel would have moved to put her in a solo movie long ago, maybe even before Avengers Assembled. So the fact that it's taken until after the character has died on screen to put a solo movie out is, is just beyond me. I don't get it. There have been whispers in the past about some of the inherent misogyny involved in the Marvel Studios and associated spin-offs. Certainly one of the toys uh, that came out after one of the Avengers movies featured Captain America. A toy, Captain America, set up to do something that Natasha had done in the movie. Um, it was a like a, an Avengers plane where Cap would, could drop out from the bottom on a motorcycle. Well, that's what Natasha did. And for some reason, it was thought that boys wouldn't want to play with a toy where Natasha does that. I don't think the people who made that decision have met many boys. That's all I'm saying. So maybe there's that. Maybe somebody th at Marvel was thinking, well, you know, Natasha's cool and all, but the kind of person that watches a Marvel movie isn't going to go and see a movie about a woman. And I don't think that's true. I really don't think that's true. I am the sort of person who goes to see Marvel movies 
And I am also the sort of person who would go and see a movie focused on a woman. Um, and they've done, they've done Captain Marvel. Now, I love Captain Marvel as a character and as a movie. But, you know, there was some, un, shall we say, unhappiness from a certain section of fandom about the way Captain Marvel behaves. I think those criticisms are ridiculous. But I also think that those criticisms may well not have been levelled at a Natasha movie. And Brie Larson might have got a slightly easier ride if Natasha had paved the way. That's an idle thought, and it's an irrelevant thought, because nobody should need the way paved for a female-led movie, but there you go. We live in the world in which we live, and I would have preferred Captain Marvel to not have had the backlash that it had. I think releasing a Black Widow movie first would have reduced that backlash. So, I don't know, we'll never know. But... What is this movie about? Now, unfortunately, it's not about Budapest, which if you've been following the Marvel movies, you'll, you'll understand that reference. And that one. It is a sort of origin story, I guess, told in flashback. It's about Natasha's past coming back to haunt her. And, you know, she's been saying since the Avengers, she's got red in the ledger. Well, this is dealing with some of that. And with where that ink came from. It's booking now, because having been put back by the pandemic more than once, you can finally book a ticket at the Everyman Cinema Harrogate. Other cinemas are available, but why would you? On Wednesday, the 7th of July. That's Wednesday, 7th of July. Finally, you can see Black Widow. Um, Links in the show notes to the Everyman page. Uh, but, you know, if you don't want to go to the, the Everyman, Google is your friend. Other cinemas are available. It looks great. Uh, you've probably seen the trailer by now, but there'll be a link to the trailer in the show notes. It, it looks like exactly the sort of action movie I want Black Widow to be in. And I know I've done the comics of the week thing but i'm just gonna while i'm talking about black widow the movie i'm just gonna mention black widow the comic the current run of black widow is sublime it's so beautifully written it's full of action but it's also full of things that make you think and sacrifice and honor and love and all of that good stuff it really is a remarkable book which um, we'll probably talk about at more length when Black Widow the movie comes out. So things are beginning, just beginning to get back to something approaching normal. And so a reminder of my request from last week. What was the geeky thing that got you through lockdown? What's the geeky thing you're looking forward to being able to get back to? What? Do you think, if anything, you've gained as an experience during the last 
year and a half. What do you think we've lost? Culturally, I mean, you know, a lot of people. But in terms of culture, what don't we have anymore that we did have before all of this started? And how do you see the future? What geeky stuff do you think will come out of this time? You know, we kept getting told during the first lockdown that, oh, well, when the plague happened and people had to quarantine, Shakespeare wrote whichever play it was, and Isaac Newton invented calculus and thought about gravity, you know. So, so what what's coming out? What is humanity going to gain culturally from what we've just been through? I'd like to hear your thoughts. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk for any comments you've got at all on that or anything else. Uh, big fan of Elon Musk? Tell me why. Big fan of Jeff Bezos? Maybe less so. Um, but, you know, get in touch. Tell me what you think. And while we're on the subject, if you own or work in a Harrogate independent business uh, or you know people who do, I'm still looking for venues for the art trail that I'm trying to put together for Thought Bubble. If you are an independent artist anywhere in the world and you have some interest in producing stuff for comics, I'm not asking you to produce anything special for the art trail, but if you have some art in your portfolio that you can lend us, we'd love to showcase you. If you want to sell that art, we are happy to try to help facilitate that. We will not take a cut of any sales and neither will the venue because if they want a cut then they're not getting the art okay the, the bonus for the venue hopefully is increased footfall as people who go to Thought Bubble go to their business to see the art and maybe buy a coffee while they're there and if you are either a, a fully digital artist and have no paper original art or if you're an international artist that is to say outside of the UK and shipping the physical art is going to be prohibitive I'm quite happy for you to send me digital art, which I will then print out. OK, I was slightly more problematic about selling it then, but I'm sure we can come to some kind of arrangement. I want to get comics in front of as many people in this wonderful town that I live in as I can. And I want people to see comics in their huge diversity. So if you want to get involved in that again, Hit me up, info at destinationvenus.co.uk. And that is about all we've got time for this week. So I'm going to start wrapping things up. We will be back next week when we will. I'm touching the wood of my studio desk as I say this. We will have an interview for you with a voice you'll recognise talking about something that's dear to both their heart and mine. Something that, honestly... I genuinely think you can probably say is maybe the, the ground zero of modern geekiness. So join us for that next Thursday or whenever you choose to listen to the show. Available on the podcast feed and also on the Listen Again section of Harrogate Community Radio. And of course, broadcasting live on Harrogate Community Radio. Until then, be kind to yourself. Be kind to everybody else. Stay safe and above all else, stay geeky. Until we meet here again, to go geeking!